Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Alul Polat. Welcome to today's episode. I have a great guest for you today. My guest is Hege Jakobsen. She is going to talk to us about Cuba, why you might want to travel there. Can you even go there? She is a former Norwegian military officer who moved there after a 20-year career in the military. We talk about why she decided to make that leap, that change. And uh, I'm always excited to talk to people who go into travel blogging because that's what she has done. And we're going to talk about all of that, what it's like, what kind of tech, like how is she even calling in because she's in Havana right now. I thought they didn't have internet, you might be thinking. Well, we're going to talk about all of that. Just a quick note that there was an internet disruption. Speaking of the internet, there was an internet disruption in the middle there. So if you hear like a cut, you know, you hear like a sort of a weird transition, that's that's what that was. So we, we had a little break while the internet reconnected. But other than that, you're really going to enjoy this episode with Hege Jacobs. All right. And there we go. Thank you, Hege, for uh, joining the podcast. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Like we said before we started recording, nothing to nothing to be nervous about because I I, I think you've probably in, been in situations that are a lot more tense than than the <laughs> podcast recording. Um, I guess that depends on the point of view, but yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> so first time for uh, everything. Yeah, uh, you know it, it, what's funny is when I started the podcast, I was super nervous before talking to anybody. Like I was the one who was really nervous, and now. I'm a lot more relaxed. Um, yeah. But when I've done other people's podcasts, I get super nervous. Like, right, it's, yeah. It's really weird. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so I just wanted to start out, you know, you reached out to me and sent me a message, which was almost so interesting. It was like, this can't be real. I mean, the, <laughs> you know, it, it's so different. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of want to walk people through I don't want to spoil, you know, the message, but I, I kind of want to walk people through like what your background is like and, 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 yeah. you know, how mm-hmm. you ended up in Cuba where you are right now. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So should I talk or should you? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah. How was your, like, where were you, you know, born? What was, you know, well, right. what was your upbringing like and, and how did you end up in the military? Right. So I was actually born in a little village in Norway called Hoxen. Uh, I'm a farm girl. I grew up on a farm, lots of animals and uh, people coming and going. And um, I don't know, probably just a very safe and secure and, and quiet upbringing. I do remember, though, once when I was very young, um, I was actually looking out the window of the living room of my house and I saw this military convoy passing by. I probably was in like 10, 8, 9, 10, I don't know. And I thought, I want to do that. I'm going there. And that's super weird because I had no idea what I was talking about and thinking about. And I, I knew nothing about that. But I just had this feeling that that was exciting and interesting in some way. So that's the first time, actually, I thought about the army. And I had like went to high school normal in Hoksu. And when I was 16, my cousin started um, uh, education in the army like undergraduate, what's it called? And um, that's when I found out that there was something that was called military education. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. I want to do that. And he used to come by the house and he was like all dirty and tired and had been out doing exercises. And I was super fascinated. Like, that sounds really cool. That sounds like painful. I want to do that. And so when I uh, finished high school, when I was like 18, I applied for the first time. And it wasn't super easy because I actually got rejected the first time. And um, I went to England, to London for a year, and I was super determined. So I tried again the next year. And then I got in. So at the age of 19 something, I started my military career. And the plan was just to be there for a couple of years. The system in Norway is like, Uh, You can take a year of education and then you do a year of service. A lot of people do that. And then they move on to higher education, university, whatever. And that was my plan as well. But uh, during that second year, everybody started talking about the higher education. We have something that's directly translated to the war academy. And the first time I heard about this, you know, got to know about 
the different options for education in the army, I was like, war academy? No, that doesn't sound like anything I want to do, like super horrible war academy, no. Nah. But during that year, it became kind of a normal term and it, it um, normalized. So coming, you know, April, I applied and I got in. And that's like 20 plus years ago, <laughs> weirdly. So I actually ended up spending more than 20 years in the Norwegian army. Uh, that's wow. the fast forward story. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And and was it kind of what you expected, you know, from that little girl who was seeing the soldier convoy or, or you know, was it better, worse, you know, something a little different? Uh, I can't say if it was better or worse, but I will say it was very different because I think that's actually the case for a lot of people when they start out doing service in whatever country they do it is you have an idea of what it is like and what it's going to be like and it's not that it's different obviously some things are what you expect you have you have the education part you have the exercises some are easy some are super hard but the general idea of the army i think is people think about like the drill sergeant and all the running and everything and that's true for like the first six months maybe but when you work in the army, it is your job, it's your career. You have colleagues, you're on first name basis, at least in Norway. And so the idea of like being, being like a soldier all the time, that's not how it is. You are working with people, you're being a colleague, you're, you know, you're learning how to communicate, you're, you're being a leader, you're supposed to... Um, make people perform their best, feel good, get better, understand things, get strong physically, mentally, emotionally. So the, the job, as it is, it is a job. It's a lot more versatile, I think, than many people imagine before joining or when they think people who have never been in any kind of uh, Army, Navy, Air Force have an idea that's probably not accurate. That's what I think about that. <laughs> yeah, I just imagine in Norwegian army, you're just running through the snow in the woods all the time. <laughs> well, well, that happens, but definitely not all the time. I think no one would stay if that was the case, actually. <laughs> so you, you finish your military career, and yeah. then you what happens next? You take this trip, right, as far as I understand it, to Latin America. What, what Why? I guess it's always right. yeah, like the passport control officer. <laughs> why, you know? <laughs> yeah, why exactly? Well, that also that was a process. I've always been traveling. I love to travel. Um, I love to like see new cultures, meet new places. Uh, the world is like huge and so small at the same time. I think, and um, so I have been doing that whenever I have had time off. I have been serving a lot overseas, like in in difficult areas conflict zones. Uh, I started that in 2000, uh, Afghanistan a lot. And um, this was in 2018. I had numerous deployments and I was actually standing in the kitchen area of our camp in Kabul, Afghanistan. And in this city, there's a lot of uh, bad things going on. There are terrorist attacks, it's problems, there's poverty, there's a lot of things. And I just thought, you know, I need a break. I'm kind of, um, I've had enough of people blowing themselves up, I yeah. actually thought. So I just need to do something completely different. And uh, I talked with a female colleague of mine who had been traveling South America and she said it was wonderful. And I had never been to South America before. So I, in that kitchen, decided, you know, I'm going to South America. That's what I'm going to do. And I went back into the office and I called my boss in Norway and I said, listen, I'm um, a little bit sorry, but I won't be coming back for a while. You know, I was supposed to be back in like four months time. And I said, I need, I need a break. So can I have six months? And he gave me six months. And so I started planning and uh, looked at the map, you know, what countries have we? And uh, um, I saw that, you know, I saw the, the whole continent of South America, but I also saw that just on top of that was Cuba. 
And I had heard so much about Cuba. We learned about it in school. You know, the revolution, Fidel Castro, the island that's so super strange. And I said, well, that's almost South America. So I'll start there. And then I had my six months trip. One month in Cuba. And weirdly, being like this officer, feminist woman from Norway, I fell in love with the Latin culture. And I started dancing salsa, bachata, kizomba. And as I left uh, Havana after about a month, I was actually almost crying a little bit. It felt like heartbreak to leave. And I wasn't ready for it. So I did, according to plan, I went to Costa Rica and Colombia. And I decided I just need to go back there for a while. So I made this detour for a week, went back to Havana and found out that it wasn't just the first kind of immediate weird encounter, but it was actually a super intriguing city that interests me and the country, the whole country as well, the island. And so I finished my... Um, my whole journey ended up in Peru, did the Inca Trail, beautiful trip, by the way, if anyone ever thought about that, uh, the hike to Machu Picchu, and then I went back to Havana, and I stayed here for six weeks at that first time. So when I went back to Norway, went back to work, I had a, uh, my last deployment, and every time I had time off, I would go back to Havana. And in that time, it kind of, you know, a process grew in me. It's like, what, 20 years now serving, more than that even. Maybe it's time, you know, to do something else. Life is short. There is so many nice things to do. And, you know, how many percent of the world's population is daily worrying about war and terrorism? That's not a lot of people. And it's super important that somebody is worrying about that and working with that. But I thought, you know, I think I need to do something else. I want to do something else with my time. And so i that's why I left the army. And um, during my six months journey, I had also done like a small travel blog for my friends and family's journey. And I loved writing and I loved taking photos. And so I thought, well, a lot of people will do that, right? Blogging, travel blogging. I'll try that. And lucky for me, I didn't know how much work and all the stuff I needed to learn like after that decision, because I might not have done it. But I left Norway mid-pandemic, moved to Havana in January 21, and I'm still here um, traveling. I'm not living here because I cannot live here, but I'm based here. And from here, I travel the Caribbean. Uh, yeah. So almost two years now. And it's been a journey. It's been like absolutely beautiful. Wow. And I mean, does Cuba have a, <laughs> you know, a big uh, expat community or, you know, in well, terms of... There are people, uh, foreigners living here, but actually, like I briefly mentioned, living here is super difficult in so many ways. First of all, moving here, you, you can't just move here. You need to have um, a visa to stay. There are a variety of visas that you can have, but in order to be a citizen, you need to apply for a citizen visa or a citizen status. And that is a huge process and a lot of paperwork. Whether you marry a Cuban or you just want to live here on your own accord, that's a big job. But you can study here and have a student visa. You can work here and have a work visa. You can do business here. If you get a business visa, there are a lot of different options. Now, on the 1st of November, so just a couple of weeks ago, the Cuban government actually uh, changed the tourist visa regulations for Cuba. That was uh, previously, that was one month that you could get, and then you could extend for two or three. But from the 1st of November 22, you can actually stay three months on one tourist visa, and then you can extend for another. So you can stay here for six months before you need to leave the country. And then, unlike the Schengen area in Europe, it's not so that you need to stay out of the country for a period of time. You can actually just skip the country for a weekend, and then you come, can come back. Uh, so you don't need to apply for a tourist visa to Cuba. You can just buy one. It's a formality. Ah, that's... Uh, so, yeah. 
Yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's pretty rare that you have that now. A lot of countries had that 20 years ago and it's changed, right? But that that's yeah. nice they have that in Cuba. I didn't know that. Yeah. So there are a lot of people staying here for shorter or longer periods of time. Some people are employed, foreigners are employed in international companies working here, uh, mainly in the tourist industry. Um, but I'm not sure I can say that it's a huge expat community that... Um, not like any well other places, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, Cuba is like you said. At least for me, when I went some place that was way different than what I expected. Yeah, um, it's so. What did different. you expect? Honestly, I expected a place that was really run down. Yeah, like very, very run down. I expected a place where. Because it was so, I imagine there was so much corruption uh, that things would, everything would be difficult, like dealing with the police at the airport. Like it would just, like I was going, I'm trying to go to every country and I was like, let me go to Cuba. I thought I would just, it would be like one of those places that you go, which there are a few where it's mm -hmm. a, a nightmare bureaucratically. And then you end up like people don't talk to you. I thought it was, you know, repressive and and I went, mm -hmm. and actually it's a beautiful place. Like, you know, yeah. you, you forget it's in the Caribbean and people are very friendly and outgoing. I mean, very mm -hmm. outgoing. Mm -hmm. Everybody's <laughs> very talkative and nice. And it's, you know, there are clear problems there. Uh, it's not a paradise, but it's not what I expected in that, in that yeah. sense, you know? So there, mm -hmm. there's this fascinating mix to me, like, uh, the old cars to me were beautiful, but it's also because they can't get new cars, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's why. Right. So yeah. it, it's this mix of, of many things. Um, yeah. But the the last thing I'll say, just for people to be able to keep those old cars running, it just mm -hmm. shows that how how resilient the people have been. I I, I see. Yeah. You see those old cars like on TV and they're so beautiful, but usually they're just mm. broken. You see a lot of broken down cars and like smoke coming <laughs> yeah. out of cars on the street, but people fixing them right there and then off they go. It's, it's just yeah. amazing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I can imagine for you coming from the military, Scandinavia, you know, Latin America, mm. I would say Cuba too runs on a very different clock. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, that can be super frustrating, still is super frustrating. You know, you have, ah, if I could tell you that there are so many cultural things that I still meet every day. And I'm like, what? What just happened? I mean, did this, how do I, you can't even, and time is one of those things. Uh, you cannot have, like, you cannot make an agreement here with someone. You cannot say like, okay, so on Saturday at two, we'll meet at this place because something always happens. It's like life happens. And so if you have an appointment with someone, you can almost be sure that it's never gonna happen. But what does happen is that people just show up like this, you know. So at your house on a normal, for me, I'm working, you know, daytime online. And like one o'clock on a Monday, suddenly someone's coming and they wanna have rum, you know. They wanna have party. They wanna compartir uh, is what they say here. And then you just have to drop whatever you're doing and go with the flow. Because if you say no, that's, you know, you lose that person forever. That is super rude. So you kind of, there is so many mental things that you just need to, they're upside down. So you just need to change it. Right. So no more work today then. <laughs> <laughs> and did you know Spanish, by the way? I, you know, uh, ah, no. Well, actually I didn't. Uh, when I did my, my six months journey, um, you know, I felt like I had to make some worth of it as well. I didn't speak a word of Spanish. So I decided to learn Spanish uh, during my journey. And I did a few classes in Norway before I uh, left Norway. But I actually did, I found Spanish schools, Spanish courses, every destination I went to. And I did classes like two or three hours a day, uh, two or three days a week to learn little by little. And, you know, being a, an adult, a grown-up, I've never learned, a, you know, I started learning English when I was probably eight or nine. 
so that was horrible, <laughs> you know, uh, grammar, grammar and everything. So that was really, for me, that was a uphill battle. But by now, I'm so glad, you know, that I decided to do that because now I'm at least 90% fluent in Cuban Spanish. And, uh, you know, languages is, is probably one of the most valuable things you can learn, I think, because you can connect with people either way, but not really in a profound way without being able to communicate in their mother tongue. So, so now I speak Spanish and yeah, super glad I made that decision. Pure luck. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely, even, even if you just knew a f few words, you know, when you yeah. visit a place, uh, the reaction of people is so different, you know, yeah, like that's so, right. so different. Um, mm. And I always tell people, you know, curse in your own language and then curse mm. in a foreign language and you can, yeah, see the reaction right like you don't like a curse word in a foreign language doesn't affect you as much because no you know so it's kind of like that's what hello and thank you in the mother tongue does mm -hmm. to the other person so exactly that's fascinating yeah you don't have the feeling of what the words actually mean when you say it in a different language so yeah it's easier to you know get some blow off some steam in spanish <laughs> <laughs> so you know when it comes to i talked about sort of the, the, I guess, the misconceptions I had, a preconception, and then I went to Cuba. Mm -hmm. uh, how was that for you? I mean, what did you think about it? I mean, especially, you know, you've, you've traveled before, you're in the yeah. military. Uh, I don't know what the media is like in Norway in regards to Cuba. You know, it's different, mm -hmm. obviously, for in the U.S. and, and different places. So what what did you expect, and, and how was it different? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm almost embarrassed to say that I didn't really know that much you know we we learned a little bit in school I obviously knew about the big things like the missile crisis and the invasion and the, the revolution and everything but I, I I think I arrived more like a blank paper um, the only thing that I did know or had expectations to I think was I, I knew it's a Latin country I knew the culture is very different I'd heard about you know the music and the dancing and the, everything but I think I actually had a bit of the same um, reaction as you. It, even though I didn't really have a, a conscious expectation, it wasn't what I probably unconsciously expected. Uh, it was so much more open, you know, so much more. And, and it seemed very happy, like on the surface. There's music everywhere. There's people smiling, dancing in the streets. Um, there's uh, the, the nightlife in Havana is amazing. The day life as well, if I can say it like that. Um, there are so many beautiful you know, things to see. The, the city is intriguing. The history is remarkable. I'm a bit of a history nerd. Um, but what I didn't know, I think, was like, for instance, there's lots of UNESCO World Heritage site, sites here. Uh, there's a lot of, of like extremely beautiful nature. Obviously, it is a Caribbean island. You can go scuba diving, boat tripping, all that kind of things. It's easier to travel within Cuba than I expected. You can buy bus tickets online uh, to go to most places. So it was, yeah, it was actually more like open, colorful and, and nice and happy than I thought. Obviously, two years down the line, I, I know a lot more. So and also knowing the language and knowing people, having friends here. Uh, I know that your first impression is not like what you see is not what you get, pretty much. You will not notice this if you stay for two weeks or one week on holiday, unless you really are paying attention. But just underneath the surface, you know, there is a lot of problems and it's a, it's a really tough life to be Cuban in Cuba in 2022. Too. And I don't think it's been easy hardly ever. If you, which I have now, now I have a more particular interest, I believe, but you see the history, you know, from the, from the start, so to speak, when the Spanish uh, colonial empire came to Cuba in the 16th century, Cuba was a colonial island or a country for, for about 400 years. And a lot of conflict, a lot of independence wars. And then in 1898 was 
you know, when the United States got into the mix and helped Cuba uh, release from the Spanish Empire, which was at that time kind of not going too well anyway. But after that, the American influence became very, very big. And so Cuba was dependent in so many ways on the US. A lot of uh, American enterprises, um, companies working here with the sugar industry, you had, you know, the, the rum production, all of that. And all this, you know, continued until till the, the revolution, Fidel Castro. Um, and immediately after the, the revolution, the, the general sentiment was that this was super. You know, a lot of people was actually very happy because before that, you know, health healthcare was horrible, illiteracy was high, uh, poverty was huge, and uh, Castro had this plan to to fix all that, um, and things didn't go according to plan, you know, because other things happened. You cannot just have a, rev a revolution in one place and expect that this has no consequences outside of your borders. And in retrospect, we obviously see the problem with the US because when Castro kicked out all the American companies, they lost a lot of money. And so you have this snowball rolling in different directions when uh, uh, the new government of the US with uh, Kennedy came in and then happened the invasion with exiled Cubans and then the Cuban crisis. Cuba had tighter relations with the Soviet at the time. And so it went in a direction that we all that we now know very well. So Cubans are used to, like you said, you know, the American cars here. They have not there has not been imported American cars since 1959, but they still run in the streets because Cubans make it work. You know, I have never seen a more resilient. They probably are, but you know, resilient people. They actually, the, if they they find a part that almost fits and they make it work. Um, so despite all, all the problems, you know, they seem to not need a lot to be happy. And until I think maybe a lot of people are not aware that um, internet pretty much came to Cuba in, in, in 2018, 2019. Like there was Wi-Fi here before that, like in 2014, but for the general population, they were not online until 2018, 2019, which is only like three years. And before that, information for people inside here was scarce to none. You know, there was not really any way of knowing what was going on outside. So they were living in this secluded paradise island, you know, and had no uh, sentiment of, of what the rest of the world was like, or at least not one that is uh, reflected in what is actually like. They had their their perception of what the United States was like, what Europe, but now they see it. You know, now they're on Facebook. Everybody is like on Instagram. Everybody can go on YouTube and are a lot more connected uh, to the world. So they see what is outside, what is not inside. And they see what other people have that are not present here. So with stay for a while you're going to notice you know from anything from the language the 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 word phrasing the the way they speak about things that it's a tough life um also obviously the pandemic didn't help uh the the tourism in cuba is about 15 percent uh, of the official gdp but unofficially, you know, because there's a lot of street vendors and stuff, it's a lot higher, a lot higher. I've heard like 70%, but don't take my word for that. I'm not absolutely sure, but tourism is super important, both for the government, but also for people. So came the pandemic, you know, tourism completely stopped. And uh, also under Trump in the United States, uh, he tightened some of the sanctions that was released a little bit under Obama. And now Cuba is also on the list of states that support terrorism, which doesn't help uh, tourism at all. Now, I'm not going to go into the political side of things. That's not my business. But from a, like a traveler and a tourism point of view, um, the Cubans lost a lot of, of their livelihood 
when the pandemic hit in 2020. And it's it's gotten a bit better now the last six, nine months. But, you know, I'm still on a mission to actually tell people that Cuba is open for travelers. It's a fascinating country. It is not illegal to come here. Even Americans can travel to Cuba, but they have to abide by a certain set of rules that is set by the American government, not by the Cuban government. And as long as they do that, you know, they are free to experience this magnificent, weird, strange island. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting um, that Americans can travel there. I didn't know that. I thought, you know, it's restricted. Um, and... By the time people listen to this, things may change, but I know you have resources yeah. on your site. So yeah. um, I will link to your site in the in the show notes so people Thank can you, check yeah. it out. Yep. But but it is possible, right? So let, let's say some random American tourist mm-hmm. wants to go just to see it. You know, I just yep. want to see it. How, how, you know, at a high level, how does that work? You know, are they? do you have to lie, basically? Do you have to say, mm. I'm going for... I'm a missionary, or I, I don't know. Do you have to make something <laughs> up, or how does that work? No, uh, no, you do not have to lie. Don't worry, you do not have to make something up. Um, the United States government has a a list of pre-approved reasons for Americans to travel to Cuba. Now, I don't remember all of them uh, by heart, but I know that the one that is most commonly used by Americans is helping the Cuban people. Now, that is not something that you need to uh, do in writing. That is not something that you apply for. It is a pre-approved reason to travel to Cuba. So what you actually need to do is book your ticket, buy your tourist card. And as an American citizen, you need the pink version of the tourist card and book a place to stay. And that's it. When you are traveling, if someone asks, you probably have to state, you have to state um, before entering and also if someone asks, that you are here for one of the 11 pre-approved reasons of of which one is helping the Cuban people. Now, um, in the the rules that are set by the American government, this means that you are not at liberty to stay at a hotel that is owned by the Cuban state. You are not at liberty to shop in a shop that is owned by the Cuban state because you're not at liberty to uh, provide in that, in a sense, financial aid to the Cuban state. But there are a lot of private enterprises today in Cuba. There are Casa Particulares, which are private houses or homes or even hotels that is owned by private persons that are not on the list, the what is called the US restricted list, where Americans can stay. There are also some hotels that are not on the US restricted list where uh, Americans can stay. So you just have to check the list when you, you know, you book your flight, that's fine. You buy your tourist card, that's fine. And when you book your place to stay, you have to check it with the list of restricted entities in Cuba to make sure that you are not booking your stay at a place that is not allowed. Uh, You can also not go shopping in governmental stores in Cuba, but there are a lot of other options. So you don't need to worry about that. Uh, When it comes to getting food, you know, uh, after the pandemic, food is actually, and not not just because of the pandemic, but also actually because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the whole situation in the world of getting, you know, foodstuffs and other items from one place to another. uh, uh, That has affected Cuba as well. But, you know, you will not notice that as a tourist. There are lots of restaurants. I know that Cuba has had a bad reputation, actually, for having horrible food, which is no longer true. Uh, You can have, like, really great restaurant experiences and high-end restaurants, or you can even buy, like, a mixed Cuban sandwich on the streets for $1, and that's that's all fine. So a lot of people have breakfast in their Casa Particular, when their hosts are are making it for them and you can eat at any uh, so a private restaurant in spanish is called a paladar so you have restaurants and you have paladares restaurants is where you're not going if you're an american citizen you are going to a paladar and then you're good 
One also thing you need to know as an American tourist traveling to Cuba is that Cuba, uh, sorry, American credit cards are not accepted here. That is because of, you know, the strategic politics. So you need to bring the amount of money that you're planning to spend in cash. And uh, US dollars after the tightening of the, of the sanctions last year, the US dollar is no longer accepted formally, which means that you should probably bring euros or Canadian dollars that are still like legal, a legal currency in Cuba. Uh, American dollars are still a commodity, but basically on the black market. Uh, I also want to say something about black market because that's a huge thing here. Black market sounds kind of scary. It sounds very dodgy. But in Cuba in 2022, probably moving into 23, uh, shopping things and doing like trading on the black market is, is almost as normal as like white market, any other way of, of um of getting things because it is just a way of reselling what people have. And they do that in order to make sure that they have what they need at the time. So if you have something and you need something else, you know, you sell what you have and you buy the other thing. And so on the streets, to put it that, en la calle, like they say in Spanish, in the streets, you can use also American dollars. But I would advise you to bring uh, euros or Canadian dollars, and then you can change it into the uh, Cuban peso when you are here. That is very easy. So it's possible, I guess, to visit uh, for Americans, but yeah. it's difficult, right? In that more difficult than going to Costa Rica, for example, you know, <clears throat> which probably... A little bit more difficult. Which hurts the tourism, right? So like, yeah. you know, I, I can't remember which country. It was a country that was really difficult to go to. It, they just recently basically, I think oh, it was Iraq. So if you yeah. wanted to go to Iraq uh, as a tourist before, it was very difficult you know, mm. to, you know, cumbersome with the visas and all that. Now it's visa-free for a bunch of countries. Yeah. And you wouldn't think it, but a lot of people are going now. I was just there. Yeah. And it opens up tourism to a lot more people. It just becomes mm. easier. And I can see how in America being so close, also, mm. you know, 350 million people, Mm. who are generally, you know, have a higher income, right, mm. than some other nearby countries. So it, it really does hurt the, 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 the tourism, I can, I can mm. imagine. Yeah. So we've talked now a little bit about why, you know, how it's difficult. Mm. So why would you want to go, right? That's probably what people <laughs> are wondering now. Okay, it, yeah. it's, it's a little bit tricky for Americans, but uh, yeah. why would anyone want to go, you know, whether it's right. easy or not? Right. Oh, where do I even begin, you know? It's uh, Cuba is a is an island nation. You know, obviously people know that Cuba is an island, but you might not know that it's also an archipelago. I'm sorry if I don't say that right. <laughs> uh, but Cuba consists of about four thousand little islands, and it's absolutely beautiful. You know, there are endless beaches if you like like the tropical climate and you do want to have a Caribbean holiday. It's it's a beautiful place to go. Uh, you can lounge on the beach. There are numerous um, high-end hotels. Just make sure that if you're American, don't go to one that's owned by the government. But apart from that, um, also, I would like, I just remembered to tell you that uh, if you are American and you want to go to Cuba, you can also contact a travel agency that will take care of all the difficult stuff for you to make sure that you don't travel uh, in a position to uh, a lot of the rules. And then you don't have to think about any other details. You just, you know, travel with them and they fix it for you. So, um, and then you have like all the experiences that's that's got to do with the Caribbean Sea, uh, diving, snorkeling, boat tripping, anything like that. You also have several um, national reserves, like uh, amazing wildlife, amazing natural resources. Uh, you can go hiking, you can go bicycling, you can like swim in this paradisical little uh, freshwater sources up in the mountains, in the jungle. Um, uh, let me see. You can and, obviously have a lot of of city life. Yeah, sorry. Uh, sorry, to, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I just wanted, so the infrastructure like for scuba diving and is there, right? So you could, you just, yes. like anywhere else, you would just go to the 
tour company and they would just put you on a boat, you know, and, yeah. and arrange. That. So that's all set up, right? That is no problem at all. So I've been scuba diving in uh, the Cuban Keys, Cayo Santa Maria, in Varadero. I think maybe a lot of people have heard about Varadero. It's the biggest uh, resort uh, area, I think, in the Caribbean. And uh, that's, you know, they have their own airport. A lot of people travel there. So there's lots of diving agencies there. There's even a lot of, of options here in Havana. Like 20 minutes outside of Havana, you have amazing beaches. That is called the Eastern Beaches or Playa del Este. So even in this metropole here, you can like travel for 15, 20 minutes and you are on these amazing paradisical beaches. And then you can just scoop back to Havana and have a night out. And lots of places are open actually until 5 a.m. 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so if you want to dance the night away, you know, you can. Yeah. And and so, you know, so you have obviously the Caribbean, right? You have the the, yeah. the, the outdoors, you have the nightlife, which you say is is very good. Yeah. Um, and clearly it is definitely a uh, at least Havana is a place that likes to party, is my experience. <laughs> yes. Uh, um and and what is it like you know is is it is it safe what's the crime mm. like you know right how 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 do people approach tourists you know right so um the safety level in in cuba is among the best in the region in the caribbean region and the in central america uh, one reason for that is that the the punishment or the the law is very very strict against crime against uh, tourists. That is a, a law that came about in the 90s because when people started traveling to Cuba, when Cuba opened up for actual tourism, there was a period where it, it was a, like a crime wave because you know rich travelers came here and they had like expensive watches and cameras and sunglasses and everything that Cubans had not experienced before. So there was a crime, a wave of crime initially in the 90s. And to, to handle that, Fidel Castro actually uh, changed the law and made the, the punishments or the, the, yeah, the punishments for crime against tourists very high. So actually just for petty crime, like pickpocketing and stuff like that, you can go to jail, which means that uh, people are very safe here. There is like, a, you, I, I walk the streets alone at night and, you know, some people say I shouldn't, uh, but in two years of living here and more than three years of traveling here, I have never had like any really bad or even slightly bad experiences. It is a safe destination. Obviously, you need to be uh, alert like you are in most places. Uh, so, you know, you don't flash your stuff and keep your pockets and your bags closed and all that kind of things. You don't want to invite anyone. But apart from that, you know, the it's very safe to travel to Cuba. All right. So for people listening who have no idea, we we, we had an internet cut there. <laughs> so that's why there's a little bit of a disruption there. Yes. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the internet and technology. Um, but I'll just wrap up what I was saying about the, the safety was I... The only two times where I felt like I did something like wrong is when I pulled out a wad of money at a night mm -hmm. market and everyone looked at me like I was doing something dumb, I think. Um, <laughs> so it probably was. Uh, and then the other one was I was at a beach. It's I'm sure you know it. I can't remember the name, but it's like the one close beach to Havana. It's not too far away, but it's really popular. And I, mm -hmm. I can't remember the name. Uh but anyway, and I fell asleep and a security guard woke me up, a police officer, I think, and said, mm. don't fall asleep with your bag. No. Even though my bag was under my head, like I was sleeping on my bag. Mm. And he said, no, keep an eye on your bags. So that mm. those are the two things I was like, uh, the second one, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. You know, I think you're right. Um, the the I think maybe the worst thing that happened to you on that first incident is that people seeing that would probably be thinking, wow, just another stupid tourist, you know, flashing his <laughs> money. And even though a lot of people wouldn't take the risk because nobody wants to go to jail for five years for, for like stealing a bit of money, they were probably thinking like that's an unnecessary risk to take. And uh, for people here who have not traveled, you know, the majority have not traveled. 
And so they only see foreigners in Cuba. There's actually, for Cubans, there are two kinds of people in the world, and that is Cubans and extranjeros, foreigners. So everyone that's not Cuban are extranjeros, and they think that extranjeros are a little bit gullible and easy to, you know, fool because the Cuban mentality is, is very Cuban. It's very specific, very particular. And so if you are, you know, uh, uh, we would probably say that we are trusting and we have like a, a, a positive view of most people and, you know, you're not going around looking for someone to fool you or, or try to steal from you all the time. But here it's more of a, that's, you know, you should do that. You should be, even though the risk is low, you should be worried about that. So yeah, flashing money, not, not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and the same on the beach, you know, he's actually, he's proving himself wrong coming to help you because most people are actually trying to help you. They want to say, hey, be careful. Uh, but obviously stuff do happen every now and then. But yeah. They, yeah. they... I and I got that feeling from him too. I mean, he, he yeah. I mean, he doesn't know. I, I'm I'm a heavy sleeper, you know. He, he doesn't <laughs> yeah. know. Like I might roll over or something, you know. Like uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I when I travel, I'm I'm naturally suspicious. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. comes from my cybersecurity background. I just right. you know, um, but in Cuba, you know, that's a place where people are going to talk to you. Like mm. you cannot avoid. And they'll talk to you about anything and everything. Like baseball, yep. I talked about baseball. Like people like to talk about baseball, which uh, was interesting. I don't know much about baseball, but uh, the beach mm. or their or food, I, it's just anything. And so yeah. it's really a place where like if you know what to expect and you take common sense, you can really open yourself up to having nice interactions Yeah, absolutely. with, with, with people, I think. Um mm without worrying too much worry worry at the normal level i would say yeah i i think that's that's a good way to to put it i think mm. i think when you tell people like use common sense people think oh it's yeah. dangerous right that's yeah. code for it's dangerous <laughs> but it's like you know it's just yeah, you could be in the safest place in the world and you just need one person to mm. pickpocket you or or an opportunity yeah. right so I think I, I do want to say one thing about it, though, that, you know, um, might come off in the, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but what we're talking about here is crime and crime against tourists and, and you know, the level of security for tourists and travelers. But the crime rate in Cuba between Cubans is different. It is higher. But that is because, you know, the laws are different. So there are, you know, especially young people, there are like little gangs in the city of 14, 15 years, year olds. There's, you know, it's a, it's a country of machismo. It's a country of a lot of honor. Um, and so there, there are issues, you know, there are violent crimes, but it's very, very rare that uh, tourists are actually subject to that. Yeah, I, I, I think you bring up a good point. Uh, you know, that I felt when I was in Cuba, there are two Cubas. Yeah. There is the the Cuba for tourists, and then, then there is this sort of underneath of how things are actually working. It's it's exactly. like, you know, it's, it's like being in an old car and you're going down the highway. You're not worried yeah. that the car, the parts inside are, are not working best or may mm -hmm. break, you know, mm -hmm. and so on. So I, yeah, I, I and it's why, like, when I was there, when I wrote about it, I was careful not to make it seem like things, because clearly a lot of things are not working as one would hope a mm -hmm. society to work there, right? Exactly. Um, but Sometimes I actually, when I'm, you know, standing in lines, Cubans are, are like experts on lines. And there are lines everywhere if you want to get into shops and everything. And sometimes when I'm standing in a line outside the shop to get in to get something and you see this beautiful old American classic car passing by with tourists, sunglasses, photo, like cameras. And I was like, it's weird because it's a parallel universe. It's like they have no idea that right now we're like 200 people standing here in line to get in and get, you know, 
I don't know, rice, <laughs> whatever. So yeah, it is, it's, there are two Cubas, like you say. And, and what do you think, um, I, I guess, as we sort of wrap things up, like, you know, people might be wondering, like, should I go to a place like that, right? Where mm -hmm. the money is going to get in the hands of the government at mm -hmm. some point, right? Like that's, that's everywhere in the world, right? Like yeah. the, the money will end up, you know, mm -hmm. at some point with the government. Do you, is that a reason not to go? Do you think? I mean, well, uh, just for the record, you know, obviously I'm biased sitting here, but um, I want to say that on this island, you know, government or no government, there are 11 million people trying to make a living, trying to make a life. And so I would say that that is not a reason not to come. If you are a bit aware and present and, and conscious about how you spend your money and where you spend your money, you can do a lot of good for the general, like ordinary Cuban when you visit Cuba. Like shopping in the, in the, the uh, private shops, eating in the paladares, the private paladares, staying in the private homes or private hotels because in that way you will help uh, the Cuban people exactly like you say when you're going you are helping the Cuban people because they will get uh, the money that you spend on your holiday and they will use that money to buy food and to buy whatever their family needs in Cuba because you know obviously they are not at liberty to leave Cuba or to shop online or stuff that, you know, most other people in the world are able to do now. So there is also a system here, which is uh, weird. There are governmentally owned shops. They are known as the MLC shops. That is Moneda Libremente Convertible. So in these shops, you can only shop with foreign currency even though they're owned by the Cuban government, which means that for Cubans to go and shop in these uh, stores, they need to have access to foreign currency. And the only way they can get that is if they have family abroad that send it to them or they get it from tourists. So when you spend your money in the privately owned enterprise in Cuba, you are making them able to get food and get the necessities to get you know, soap and dishwasher and, you know, wash uh, uh, detergente, I forgot what it's called, like what you can wash your clothes, toothpaste, lunch, yeah. like, yeah, things that are normally sold in the MLC stores. So you are, I will say you are helping, even though finally, you know, the money helps the, the Cuban government as well, which is in a serious, serious state financially at the moment you know they have a huge foreign debt and they don't have money to run the country so in that sense you know despite the sanctions and everything just to to keep the the country running with roads and hospitals and everything that is maybe not just a bad thing either yeah i i, I think that's a that's a a good sentiment mm. um and uh, there's a lot to see and a lot to do um yes there and I, I I think I guess you know like you said it is I, I, I I'm losing my train of thought of how to go <laughs> I, I don't think I can sum it up better than than you did um so uh and you have the pictures you have places mm. to go things to see mm. all on your site mm. um and if like I said I'll have that your site in the show notes but if you could just share the link uh, yeah, uh, I will <laughs> there and um, I and to wrap things up, you know, we're talking right now on a virtually. I'm not I'm not in Cuba at the moment. Mm -hmm. How people, you know, we're recording over video. We have audio, obviously. Mm -hmm. How is this happening? You know, people are probably wondering. Wait a minute! I thought the yeah. internet was a problem. Uh, you know how how is that mm -hmm. how is that working? Right. So. So internet is obviously not as easy as other places, but uh, as Cuba is super intent on raising also the tourism industry again, one of the things that, that tourists, travelers, people need is internet. So there is a lot more internet here now than it was just a few years ago. Uh, 
There are internet parks. There are internet in all the large hotels. Some private homes have internet. The problem with internet still is that when you are logging on from a Cuban server, there are sites outside of Cuba that will say, uh -uh, you are logging on from a server that we don't like, so you are not allowed to enter this space. Um, that was a problem for me, obviously, working online. But I have got myself a really good VPN. Uh, I needed to download that outside of Cuba. So for anyone traveling here, you know, in addition to getting an offline uh, uh, parlor, Spanish parlor, download a VPN before you go. And you will be able to buy Wi-Fi cards here. You buy Wi-Fi cards uh, for a dollar or five dollars for one hour or five hours, and then you can log on on the official uh, website or, or, or service of, of Cuba. Um, and with the VPN, you are able to access almost everything, almost everything. So without my VPN, I probably would not be able to have this Zoom meeting with you right now. But with it, that's not a problem. And obviously, it can go wrong every now and then. If there's a storm coming, you might expect, you know, not just the Wi-Fi, but the, the cell phone to go down. Um, but as long as, as, you know, the weather's nice and nothing bad is happening, you are probably, you, you won't be having any trouble getting online. Mm. And running an online business, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, how, what is your setup? Like, what's the tech, tech setup? Uh, you know, how, how are you? running your site how are you managing yeah. things do you just you know what is the wi-fi like at home you know how, how does how do you manage mm -hmm. all of that right i do have wi-fi at my house uh i that's uh, absolutely necessary otherwise so you know i can't go to the park every day to log on and have a eight nine ten hour work day so that is absolutely necessary i have a standard setup you know wordpress and page builder and the uh, hosting and everything uh, without my VPN, I wouldn't be able to communicate, you know, with help desks or problem solvings or anything like that. But I would say like 90% like anywhere else for me right now. As long as I have the Wi-Fi in my house and it works, um, it's, it's not really a huge problem. But I have to log on every morning and I buy, you know, Wi-Fi cards. So I, I spend like three Wi-Fi cards a day. <laughs> Four, if I want to go on Netflix, you know, in the evening. Uh, so there's, you know, the actually getting online and staying online is an extra step that I need to do to do my work. But it's not a huge problem. It's just it's a nuisance. That's <laughs> yeah. And and how's the blogging journey? How how are you finding that, which is a new kind of adventure, right? Like sort oh, of yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> that has been, you know, an uphill battle and a downhill you know journey sometimes as well personally i love it uh but that doesn't mean it's easy uh, but i probably it probably wouldn't have been easy from costa rica either for someone like me you know i was an analog person until two and a half years ago so i had to learn everything i learned everything from scratch invested in you know mentors and coursings and and you know now i think i'm on a a good enough level to actually run it as a business but it has been a journey as well for me personally to, to develop this business um, side of blogging, you know, and making it something that I can live by. And I'm still working on that. Mm. It's like running a marathon. That's how I yeah. recommend it. Yeah, exactly. People. It's yeah. not a sprint. It's, yeah. No. So that I have learned. Yeah. So it's just getting up in the morning and, you know, do what you plan for the day and don't pay too much attention to, uh, Google Analytics, <laughs> you might yep. have a mental breakdown if you do that, and just uh, you know work on. I think they call it grit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One of one of my favorite creators uh, has two things that that he's mentioned. One is he's happy that he never had a viral video, yeah, uh, like on YouTube that got him to seventeen million subscribers, whatever he has now. And he's like, because then I would be chasing that viral hit mm. the whole time mm. try, and everything would change. Rather, mm. I just do what I want to do. And if I make more of a, you know, different things, I'll eventually, mm -hmm. you know, you slowly have this wave that builds up. Yeah. Uh, and the other one is done is uh, 
basically done is better than perfect which yeah exactly that's what i think too i saw this there's this uh actually an australian comedian who has this talk that he gave to a lot of uh, students at a university somewhere in australia and he has i think he said nine life lessons that he wants to give to people and one of them i love he says be micro ambitious if you have like this huge goal ahead of you and you suddenly reach it by the age of 30, you're probably going to enter this void of what shall I do with my life now? So making small goals and, you know, uh, achieving them, which makes you happy. And then you set a new little goal and you achieve that and that makes you happy. And then you can build from there and learn so much along the way and, you know, meet so many people. So redefining career maybe what is a career <laughs> yeah no it's a very engineering mindset you know mm -hmm. break break down a big problem into small pieces yes um which is just how my brain works you know just yeah that's that's how that's a better approach right um, <laughs> and more sustainable I think so. <laughs> more sustainable, <laughs> more sustainable. <laughs> i think it's better for your mental health as well actually <laughs> yeah somebody might disagree but yeah so uh, last question for you what's mm -hmm. what's next what are your plans do you have any right i do have micro plans obviously um i think in a couple of weeks i'm going to trinidad haven't been there for a few years because of the pandemic so i need to see if things are still the same uh on that note i was also visiting santiago de cuba just a few weeks ago so i'm doing you know a series of articles about santiago now which at one point was the capital of Cuba and has like this amazing history as well. Uh, and I'm also, you know, I do travel the Caribbean, not just Cuba. So um, I think in December or January, I will be going to a new Caribbean island for a month or so and explore that and then uh, hopefully be able to write about that and tell people about it. My my like uh, area of work is the Caribbean as of right now. So that is the plan. I have actually, just a couple of days ago, I found out that I have been invited to speak at a TEDx event in March next year about um, a traveler's mindset and you know how to communicate with a traveler's mindset. So uh, preparing for that is also going to you know, be, uh, take a lot of my time the next few months. And uh, hopefully, you know, be able to speak about about the mindset of of traveling and how that can enhance your life. Yeah, that that we'll look forward to that. I I think that's mm -hmm. a a great topic uh, to talk about, right? And, and I and think your, so. <laughs> and your story is very, you know, unusual. I think <laughs> different. Uh, but thank mm -hmm. you for sharing it with us. Uh, people can find you at theworldbyhege.com, right? That's, that's right. The site. Yeah. And uh, on from there, they can find you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, yes. the, all the usual. I'm not on Twitter. Yeah. But Facebook, Instagram, yeah. That's probably my a good thing. Yeah, Twitter might not be yeah. around by the time this episode goes <laughs> Maybe not. You, do, you never know. <laughs> well, thank you again very much. I, I really appreciate Pleasure. it. I hope it encourages people to take Cuba, you know, mm -hmm. look at Cuba as a potential travel destination. Yes. Um, it is, like I said, fascinating. And I think it is at a time where, like, it's at this very unique time where mm -hmm. it's exotic, it's different, you know, it's not at the, it's not near at mass tourism you know, level. It will, I think, mm. eventually get there. I think things will open up. I I, I think that will eventually happen. Mm. But that Cuba will be a different place. Yeah. I think this Cuba is, is a very interesting point in time to visit. It is. It is. And it has like this unique history and a, and a very, very special current state as well. So I, you know, it's up to each and every one if they want to make the journey. But if they do, I do not think that they will regret it. My mom said when she visited, this has been an educational journey. And she's like, six, she was 68 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hege, for being a guest on this episode of the podcast. Thank all of you for listening. Be sure to check out her site for basically one-stop shop for all 
Cuba-related things. Uh, there's also a post on foxnomad.com coming up with some special advice for you as well that she has written for us about Cuba. Uh, if you're still listening at this point, which, you, you know, you are. You're listening. You're hearing my words. You are a super listener. You've gotten to the very end of the episode. And if you haven't already given the podcast five stars wherever you listen to podcasts, well then, what are you waiting for? It really helps us get the word out about the podcast. Uh, the response to this season has been absolutely great. I am just really thrilled at your comments, your feedback. Uh, the guests that we've had have been absolutely fantastic. I look forward to the upcoming episodes to share with you. Thank you all very much again. And until the next episode, I hope you have a great rest of your day.